Welcome back to another episode of the Sports Redefined Podcast. I'm your host, your best host, Namdi, a.k.a. Premium Nam. Alongside, we got my man, Mr. Rel to Real. Hey, all right, guys. What's up? What's up? Today, we have a special guest today. He is the head strength conditioning coach from Pace University. He's the strongest man I know out of Ohio. <laughs> welcome to the team. Well, welcome to the show, Troy Thompson. Welcome, hey. baby. Thank you, brother. Yeah, I don't know about that, man. I don't know if I'm the strongest guy around, but I'll take the compliment. I'll take that. I don't even know anymore. My kids, my kids are stronger than me, so that's a good thing. That's how it's supposed to be. So, all right, but I appreciate. it. No, no problem, problem. So, uh, Troy, uh, you are a chef condition coach at Pace University. Yes, sir. What? Uh, why did you go down the chef conditioning path? What sports did you play to help you get to that path? Like, let us know. Yeah, so uh, I'm from Columbus, Ohio, well, a suburb of it called Pickerington, Ohio. I played primarily football growing up, but, like, youth sports was everything. You know, I played all that stuff, basketball. I really played basketball primarily. And then, you know, I was six foot and uh, at best on a good day. And, <laughs> you know, I had a basketball coach in junior high say, hey, you should probably stick with football. And it was probably the best decision of my life, best advice of my life, because I, I got with football and – you know, I was playing, but like I was still more of a basketball guy. And our high school football program is a nationally ranked program. And it's, you know, public school. So it was just that. And lifting was just part of the culture. Uh, you know, looking back, what we did, was it the greatest thing ever? No, but it was just, it was good work. Like you learn to work hard and, and all that. And so I think I kind of realized early on playing football, like my freshman year of high school, I had a coach say, hey, you need to get in the weight room more. And I liked squatting. I was good at it. So something's good, but I think I, I think I subconsciously realized that like, hey, I probably am not talented enough to play if I don't do this. Um, right? And then so I started my freshman year of high school to get into it, and you know that gave me opportunities to play a little bit as a sophomore, and which you know was probably above my like actual ability level because I ended up playing like our graduating class had like three or four guys go Big Ten. You know, a couple other guys. We had 15 total guys go play football at some level. So got into it that way, um, you know, and then really said, like, oh, crap, this is a profession. Like, I'm, I'm going to move forward with this. And so started looking for schools with exercise science degrees and, and just kind of went from there, man. Uh-huh. Cool, cool, cool. I have a question for you, Troy. How you doing? Sure. I'm good. All right. uh, I'm hanging in there. You know, we got a lot of – Snow once again, but we don't get it. We're New Yorkers. We figure it out. Yeah, we gotta deal with it. Right? So uh, I got a question. Uh, what would what would you say the highs and the lows are of being a strength and conditioning coach? Ooh, that's a good one, man. I, you know, for me, it's all related to the kids. Um, I'll start with the lows because I like to end on a positive note. <laughs> the lows are are, are sir, really. Sir. When you see the kids, like you're in there day in day out with kids, and and I work with all the sports teams at Pace. So you see the effort that they put in. You see them out at practice working hard. You know the, the hours and everything else they're going through. And they have goals, you know, as a team. And, and it really is when you they don't necessarily get the goal done on the field that they want, right? Because mm. ultimately what we do in the weight room is 
it's, you know, a helping you be the best you can on the field. And when you get just short, you know, those, those are the ones that are hurt. Like you're just short, you lose by one point, those kind of things. And you're like, man, you're right there. And you, you feel those kids like hurt. That's, that's the biggest low to it, man. You know, you feel they're hurt. There's a lot of hours for strength conditioning in general, but you got to know that going into it, but it really is up with those kids, man. When they're, when they're hurting, you're hurting. And it's just kind of that way. Um, the highs are the exact opposite. You know, when you see like a pace, um, you know, two great examples are our men's basketball and our football team. Like when we got here, man, both our coaches, our football coach got here a year before me. I think our basketball coach got here the year I got here, but the first year I didn't work with men's basketball. Um, you know, they, the programs were down and out, man. Like pace football hadn't had a winning season, I think in this century, Jeez. you know, and to see where they've come now, I think this would have been our head coach's like seventh year. Um, you know, obviously we didn't have a season this year, but to see those progressions and see those teams pull out wins that people didn't think they should and, and see them go from bottom of the conference, like every year expected people, both, both football and men's basketball, they expect you to be down there to now where you're contending for conference championships. That's, that's one of the huge wins, man. That's, that's a high, like unlike anything else. And, you know, you feed off of that, too, because of the kids. Um, and then the other thing is when you see the older kids, especially in, like, my area, make, like, those small progressions when they get older. Because, you know, training young kids is easy. Getting them stronger, getting them faster, that stuff, like, that's that's easy because they're most of them have never done it. So just show up, be consistent, and, you know, we'll get you better. Um, the older kids that are now already, like, great movers and are strong, and you see them add – 10 pounds to their bench press and they're super excited about it or add 30 pounds to their squat in their senior year. And they're pumped up about it. You know, those things and, and see them then transfer that to the field. Those are the big wins, man. Cause the fourth and fifth year seniors, when you can make them that like 2% better, that 2% makes them from good to great or great to mm -hmm. a leader, you know, it takes them over the top. So that's, that's, those are the highs, man. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I heard you say something about being in day in and day out, day out, and you've watched the players progress. I want to ask you personally, how do you feel when an injury hits? Like, how hard do you take it when an injury hits? Yeah, it's it's rough, man. Like, when you know a kid's, like, put in the time, because part of the reason we do strength and conditioning is to avoid those injuries, right? And, and some of right. it, you got to know that, like, there's some things you can't prevent. You know what I mean? In, in all sports and, and you try your hardest, but there's, there's eventually going to be things you can't prevent, but you got to do the best you can. But then you see that kid get hurt, man. It, it's like, right. you know, I've got 400 little brothers and sisters at pace. You right, know what right, I mean? Right. So you take it like it's a, you know, you spend so much time with them that they're basically family that you see them, you know, hurt and you, you know, the pain that they're feeling and that that's when it hurts me, especially when it's like an older guy um, or girl, you know, that's, that's spent a lot of time with you. Those are the ones that hurt. All right. Wow. So, since Rel skipped all the questionnaires. <laughs> I didn't. I just asked one question. Okay. I'm going to like double down on the injury question. Right. So yeah. Injuries are injuries happen in sports. Right. So yeah. I have like this weird philosophy. Like you usually get injured, like, for doing things that you're not supposed to be doing or you, you naturally normally don't do. Because essentially injuries, injuries happen because of overcompensation, right? Like right. something so Clay Thompson's Achilles, he overcompensated on that same leg. Right. So when you're in the weight room, like 
how important is it for you to be mindful of when an athlete is injured in addition to like how important is it for you to like get them back on the field? Yeah. So I guess like injuries are going to be with most. So at my age group is definitely different than like a Clay Thompson, right? Cause that guy's been doing it for a long time. You know, I don't know exactly how old he is, but probably around 30 years old or so. So it's, it's a different story than like an 18 to 22 year old. Most college kids or your high school kids are really going to get hurt mainly because they don't have the strength in their muscles around that joint. Right. And so then they end up, there's too many forces, like the forces we put on the court or on the field when we're running and sprinting and jumping, um, it's going to be greater than anything we put on our body in the weight room. You know what I mean? Just from adrenaline going, just from, you know, all that aspect, but sprinting and jumping are our highest intensity stuff that we do. Um, so it is going to be that, but then really you have to like, when you're in the weight room, you have to be cognizant of guys that are hurt first and then injured is different, right? So injured is you're out, right? So you had like, you can't squat guys that are hurt. Okay. We may not back squat today. We may do a different variation of a squat. We may just goblet squat. If it's a shoulder thing, we're going to use a safety bar, right? We still want to get as close to, the training adaptation as we can without making your injury worse. Mm-hmm. So you have to be cognizant of those things with the kid and say like, Hey, um, this is how we're going to work around it, but we still got to get you to the adaptation. And, you know, a great example, we had an all region receiver last year that he just had like a foot heel Achilles issue. And so we would squat him, but we just never loaded him past a certain point or we take him to 80% when everybody else was at 85 and he would hit one single, you know what I mean? Cause I need him to have that central nervous system adaptation. So he can look, this kid was, he could fly. He's at least a four, four speed. We had pro day scouts that clocked him. Um, I'm sorry, junior day scouts that clocked him at like a four, four zero. Right. And we need this kid, right? So we got to keep him available. But at the same time, I need him to be able to produce those speeds. And if we don't train, he's not always going to be able to do that. So you just got to be cognizant of what that kid can handle and be smart about it. And then with kids that are injured, you do progress them back in. The rehab process is going to be the first and foremost thing. So like our athletic trainers generally lead that stuff. And then when they're like about the point that they're getting back into practice, we work them back in. And we'll still train them. Like if you can't handle a squat, okay, we'll do some kind of lower body stuff and I'll work with our athletic trainers to kind of build that plan. And then when we get you back in, like you probably aren't going to play football if you're not squatting. You know what I mean? Like generally speaking, and again, it doesn't need to be squatting 90%, 100%, but you're, if you're not going to squat, you're probably not going to be able to go out there and play football very successfully or at least – not last very long. Right. So we got to get, we got to build that back in because then all right, your area is injured. Those muscles will keep you healthy and take the stress off of that joint specifically. So if we don't, if we take strength training completely out, you're just setting yourself up to get re-injured faster. Mm-hmm. All right. So, well, you'll be having these hill spurs. I keep telling you, hit the weight room, bro. All right. What's up? <laughs> Put my business out there in the street. Hey, hey, hill sprints are one of the best <laughs> but now we go. <laughs> hill sprints are awesome, though. You got to do hill sprints. Okay. All right. So, um, uh, I'm going to stay on track. I don't want to get laid off. <laughs> you want me to stay on track, Nandi? Uh, yeah, but I got one more question for Troy. Yeah. So, okay, okay. 
Back to injuries. What injury do you see most that occur in the weight room, if any? So hopefully in the weight room it, it itself is not very no. big, right? Like, uh, like you talk about, I mean, dude, there's guys that up at, especially at the high, high levels of this, if you get a guy injured, you're fired. You know what I mean? You talk NFL, NBA, like if you get, like if you're the, uh, if you're the strength coach for Los Angeles Lakers and you get LeBron James hurt, you're fired. And, you oh, know, no, you're, no, it's uh, over. <laughs> it's over. Yeah, like, you know, and, and it's even obviously with LeBron, LeBron's a different animal, but like any of those guys, right. you know, any that kind of level, like you can't, what you, <laughs> you do has to be done safely. You know I mean? Now there's things that'll happen occasionally. Um, but again, you, you just got to be smart and you got it. And that's on you as a coach and just training them the right way. Um, and, and really loading over time. Cause if you get stuff in the weight room, it's probably going to be more based off of like overuse and like you loaded them up too heavy for too long or for too many reps or whatever. Mm. Um, you know, the injuries you deal with the most, you know, fortunately knock on wood, you know, it's not, um, and not as many knee issues lately. Shoulder is a huge thing um, that just comes up. And it depends on sport too, but hamstrings are another one. And, and that really comes to us just being smart in how we organize practice, organize lifting. Like it's all got to go together. So we just organize that to try and avoid those, those hamstring pulls. And, you know, part of that too is with freshmen and young kids, it'll generally be weakness in the hamstrings versus older kids. We got to be smarter about how we do it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Troy, where did you work at before Pace University? And who are a few people you can name that helped you along your way to get to where you are now? Oh, yeah. Um, so I started out, I played football at Capital University. And then from there, I, I interned in my undergrad, but at another university called Denison University. And I worked for a guy named Mark Watts. He was fantastic. Got the start in it. Um, you know, gave me my first internship and and was an awesome mentor. And then he kind of, it ended up, I graduated, I actually graduated a semester early. And then I was spending that spring still up at school. I was working part-time jobs. I was, you know, I went back and like kind of did a volunteer internship for mm -hmm. Denison again. And then that summer I got the opportunity to go down to Wofford college and really without Mark Watts, I never would have got that job because he had a connection to the head guy down there to his, like mentor. Right. So it was like a, you know, like a big connection um, tree mm -hmm. and ended up getting an interview with that guy. Got that job, moved down to South Carolina to be at Wofford. And that guy, Josh Medler is absolutely 100% my biggest mentor. He is uh, a guy I still talk to probably at least once a month. Um, you know, we're both busy, so we try to, but his, I think it, I was lucky. You know, it was my first paid job as an assistant strength coach. And what I had learned and wanted to learn and, and thought like, yeah, I like this stuff as a strength coach. I think this makes sense in my head from both like a training programming standpoint and like a, just a coaching standpoint. I probably matched up with Josh like 97% the same person. You know what I mean? And it was I was just really lucky in that regard. Got to go meet, you know, go down there, work for him. I was there over a little bit over a year. And, and then I went up to Old Dominion University. So it was, uh, I went from FCS to FBS at Old Dominion. I worked with a guy named Ryan Martin, who was our uh, director of strength and conditioning. 
and then our assistant Joe Makovic. Both of those guys were great. Um, different than what I'd experienced at the other two places from a cultural system. Um, you know, so I think there were some things that I just didn't understand as well at the time being an assistant as maybe I do now as being a head guy. Um, mm -hmm. But a great learning experience. You know, Bobby Wilder was the head coach there. He's, he's no longer the head coach there, but he did a tremendous job. Like brought right away, brought me in and was like, hey, you're part of the football staff. No questions asked. Like this was, you know, and I was 24 years old, you know, brought in wow. and, and just treated me great. And so he was a great inspiration. And, and then really through those connections, that old Dominion I got connected to our head football coach here at Pace, Andy Rondo, because he had prior or like a few years before been the defensive coordinator at Old Dominion. And so I got connected with him. He said, hey, I've got this job open and it's just been rolling here ever since. So. Hmm. That's so, good. Six, uh, all connections, man. Right? Like, <laughs> What's up? I said six degrees of separation. Like, oh, yeah. Boom, boom, boom. It's all that, man. Coaching is all that. Like it's all it's it's connections and it's working your tail off for where you're at. And yeah, it's all that, man. Troy, yes, sir. would you say you are one of those coaches with a philosophy? And if you are, <laughs> what is your coaching philosophy? All right. So I got to tell you, Namdi sent me this and, and I was like, dude, this is a long question. Long answer question. <laughs> so I'm going to try. And Namdi knows that like I can talk forever about this. So I'm going to try and keep this as succinct as I can, man. Let me pull my notes so I can okay. I try and keep this. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, oh, he got it. Dude, I got <laughs> like, Namdi <laughs> sent me this and I was like, yo, these are good questions. I got to be prepped. Like, this is, I, I, I got yeah. to be ready, man. Um, so, yeah. So, Every strength coach has a philosophy, right? To me, I really break it into two parts. And I say, hey, there's my strength and conditioning philosophy. And then there's my coaching philosophy, right? Because those, they both go together, right? But the, the training and, which, and how you coach it are going to be two different things. So I'm sure this, this part, the strength and conditioning, I'll start with because this is the long part. And if I get through this quickly, then we're doing well. So really <laughs> – you know, I, I started to sit down. It's it, to me, I call them my two systems and then there's five pillars of each system. Right. And so for strength and conditioning, the first and foremost thing is what I call high, low sequencing. So basically that says everything you do to the body, right? Everything we do as athletes is going to be either high intensity, moderate intensity, or low intensity. Okay. And how we organize that throughout a week, throughout a month, throughout a year, really tells us if we're going to progress while like progress optimally. Okay. So we have to organize that to have recovery and the quick, easy way to say it is like the old traditional way to do it is like, we're going to practice hard this day, lift hard this day, practice hard this day, lift hard this way. The problem with that is then it all becomes high intensity and there's no room for recovery, right? There's zero room for recovery. And then you end up just getting worn down. So more what high low says is, hey, if we're going to high intensity practice, we're going to high intensity lift that day. And now, depending on your time of year, what a high intensity lift is, is going to be a little bit different. What it is in the off season isn't the same in season, right? But we're still going to have our bigger, harder lift on that same day. Because then when we have a lower intensity practice day, if we were to high intensity lift, we're not going to recover. So we want to match that with a low intensity lift. Right. And again, intensity in this terms is not saying like, hey, your hype and your energy that you're bringing. That's not it. Right. Yeah, you got to be like 
the people, the masses, they don't understand. They go like, oh, you got to turn up. Nah, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not like like low intensity doesn't mean we come in and shoulder slumped and we're just going through the motions, right? We still bring energy. We're still doing that. The intensity means the movements and the percentages that we're actually putting on the body, okay? So that's, that's the first thing is high-low sequences. We just organize it to allow for optimal recovery so that we always progress as we go along. The next one is what's called vertical integration. That basically means that, hey, year round, we're going to train all the qualities that we need in our sport, right? So speed, strength, maximal strength, uh, strength endurance, you know, uh, rehab movements, plyometrics, all those things. We're going to train them year round, but the emphasis of each one might be different based off of the time of year that we're in. So our max strength, we're still going to train it in season, but in a four-week block, we might do two reps of 90%. You know what I mean? In the off season, we might do two reps of 90% of a single set, you know, not, and I'm talking like, so we do two reps of 90% in four weeks in the in season, in the off season, we might do it, you know, three sets of two at 90% in uh-huh. a single day. Right. So the, the amount that we're doing it is different per the time of year. Okay. But we still want to do it because we want to keep all those qualities that we need to be better athletes. The next one is what we call the conjugate method, which basically says there's three ways for you to get strong. Maximal effort, dynamic effort, and repetitive effort. Maximal effort means we're moving heavy loads, right? It's the easiest one to understand. It's, you know, one rep to three, maybe five reps. We're talking 85, 90% plus of your max, right? Then our next one is our dynamic effort. This is the one most people don't understand, right? I want to... So basically when we move weight, it's going to be in a 30 to 60% range. And we may throw some bands and chains and things on there like that. Um, But we want to move lightweight fast. Okay. So if we really break down strength, force equals mass times acceleration, this is the acceleration piece, right? We have to move lightweight fast because that's part of being a better athlete. Okay. So we'll use that dynamic effort. Now we're only going to do two, maybe three, maybe four reps with this, right? Because if you think about it, it'd be like saying, hey, I want you to go run a 40-yard dash as fast as you can, okay? Now turn around, run it as fast as you can again. If you start doing that like 10 reps, you're going to go from a four whatever to a six real fast, right? Just because you can't handle that high-intensity low without rest in there. So we might squat two reps really fast, and then you got 45 seconds off, and then you're going on the next set. So that's dynamic effort. So that's our speed work. We don't want to really emphasize our weight room speed work specifically. And then repetitive effort is just bodybuilding, you know, like high rep stuff. Everybody knows that bicep curls. We use that on a lot of our assistant exercises. Within that same pillar that I was talking about is our James Smith running method, which basically just breaks down that high, low sequencing, right? So I won't spend too much time on that one, but then, uh, basically, it says we're going to sprint and we're going to do what we call extensive tempo work. Those are our two main portions of running. All right. And then our fourth pillar is technique. It's huge for us. Nandi knows this. We went um, when we test, anytime we test, we grade every kid on a scale of one to five. I think on a squat, I've had like three or four kids ever get a five. A five is perfect, meaning like it just got too heavy. You didn't break down. Right. And, and again, there's some you know, powerlifting people that'll tell you a perfect squat is impossible. It might be right, but the five to me is as close as we can get, right? Mm -hmm. The one is the wide range of, you know, not very good, right? Like you're not even trying to like, 
uh, you're just not there yet. Right. So, and then, you know, kind of fills in from there. So we grade every kid on that scale. And then our last pillar for the strength and conditioning specifically is our big three lifts. We're going to box squat. We're going to bench press. We're going to hang clean. Those are our big three. And those are the three that we're highly technical on. We're highly technical on everything, but those three, especially, and that's where kids get graded. So that's the first system of philosophy. I told you this was a long answer, man. (laughs) (laughs) No, so Troy. So, all right. So your, your big three are box squats, hang clean and bench, right? So, for your box squats, when I was working with you, you did a two-second pause, right? Yes, sir. So a lot of people explain why the box squat is important compared to a freeway squat, and then also explain to what's the purpose to, like, instead of touching the box, compared to, like, you pausing down there. Right. A lot of people think so, squats are, like, girly squats, and it's like, uh, really? Yeah. But <laughs> so the box is uh, – this is another possibly long answer. So I'll try and succinct this. Um, so the box, man, it's, it, it's the best way to learn to squat. It's not that we're against free squatting. We will do that um, without the box, but it's the best way to learn when we want to squat, we want to create as vertical of a shin angle. So from like our ankle to our knee, we want that to be as vertical as possible where the hips sit back. Cause now we're putting all that pressure and strength into our glutes and our hamstrings. And those are the muscles that are going to make you run faster, jump higher, hit people harder, be more explosive, all that stuff. Anything athletic, those muscles do it, right? Uh So that's in our squad. We want to put the emphasis there. The pause itself is really to teach people to be strong in your weakest position, okay? If you watch like a box and people tap it, they're losing their setup right? They're losing their strength and, and really their locked in ability, their uh, rigidity through their body to be able to transfer that strength, right? They think it's momentum and they're going to end up getting more momentum by bouncing off the box, but they're going to end up screwing up all their technique, right? And so they're eventually you hit a weight, you're just going to get stapled if you do that, right? And the other piece is when we think about athletes, football is the easiest one, but athletes in general, you're coming out of an isometric every time that you do a jump, a sprint, or whatever, right? Football is easy because everybody comes out of stance. So explain that, hey, you're producing power out of your stance. That's easy, right? Because you're in a pause and then you got to go as fast as you can. But every sport, isometric muscle contractions do are used in every athletic movement. It may just not be as long as like sitting in a stance. So we want to be able to produce power out of those weak positions, so those are our biggest reasons, the glutes, the hamstrings, power out of the weak spot, and really just emphasizing that, hey, with our strength movement, we're, we're transferring to what we actually do. So. All right, sounds good, sounds good. So you hear that, people? Uh, box squat is the best way to learn how to squat. It is not a girly squat. Yeah. It's not a sissy squat. <laughs> you know? It's a solid squat out there. If you do it right, there's a lot of terrible ways out there. Like, like there's a lot of bad box squats out there. So let me preface that, you know, if you're squatting and it's like a quarter squat, that ain't it, but you you got to find the right resources, but they're out there. So uh, let's get back into your actual coaching philosophies. Yeah. All right. So I really, Namdi, I think I dove into this more after we spent time together Mm -hmm. that year. I kind of, that summer I reached out to, some more former like guys that had graduated because I finally had a class that had left. I said, Hey, what were the like themes, the things that we can emphasize that you guys really saw like 
that you guys made better throughout this time that really defined our culture in the weight room. And, um, you know, they came back with several themes that were pretty consistent. Um, one that we had always used was intentionality. Um, but they came back with discipline and with all that kind of stuff. Right. And so I was sitting there that summer and I was thinking like, Hey, what's, I'm not really an acronym guy, but I was, I was thinking like, Hey, maybe if I put it into one and it'll stick more. And so what really happened was, I went back. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, so I'm sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> so I, I went back, and I, I know it's rough life for the last – you grow up in 1990, and Troy Aikman's the quarterback, and I'm all about it. Yeah, man. man. You know, man. Right. Uh, but I was listening to Jason Witten's retirement speech, right, and he said the secret is in the dirt, and it really clicked with me. Like, that is 100% true, man. Like, how you get get to that kind of level of consistency and Pro Bowls and all that stuff and, – and, whether you're not at the NFL level or just at college or whatever, it's really in the stuff that you don't want to do. It's in the dirty work. Right. And so I sat there, I said, Hey man, this works for an acronym. I, I made dirt an acronym, right? It's for us. What I've kind of shifted to with coaching them is it's discipline, intentionality, responsibility, and toughness for us. And, and that's really, you know, the culture that we strive for in our weight room. It's like, Hey, we're going to come in. We're going to be disciplined. That doesn't necessarily mean like, Hey, you just do what you're told. Right. Because that I don't want you to come in and not have fun. But at the same time, it's saying, hey, you understand that there's a reason for being in here. And every time you come in here, you need to be locked in that, hey, you're getting better at something you love to do. Right. And it may not be you love the weight room, but this helps you get better at that other thing. And then intentionality is our next thing. That's really the same thing. We call it our value and our purpose is saying, hey, we have value to everything that we're going to ask you to do. Right. Like we're not going to ask you to do stuff that doesn't make you better. Right. And then the purpose behind that, you may not understand, but ask that question and say, like, hey, how does this help me on the field? And then my job is to then educate you and explain. And I may not be able to give the full dissertation, but I can at least give you something on why. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's our intentionality saying, hey, your value and purpose to coming in here. Responsibility. That's the easy one. Be a good teammate. Like if you wake up and your roommate's supposed to be in lift with you and he's not up get him up and make sure he's on time, right? Be a good teammate, spot each other, right? Like, let's be safe. Let's make sure we're paying attention. Make sure I put the clip on for my teammate when we switch the weight so that he doesn't lose all the weight and hurt himself, right? And then toughness, that's, that's the easy thing, right? Be mentally tough, but be resilient and say, hey, I may be hurting today. I still need to go in there and get the job done. So that's, that's really the culture that we strive for from a coaching perspective, from our student athlete perspective in the weight room. Um, thank you. Thank you. I, I like the dirt. And, uh, acronym. I like yeah. that. That we was dope. Don't sue us. The kids, the, some of the football guys ended up hashtagging it a little bit. And I was like, all right, this uh, is this way. <laughs> uh, you got trademark rights already. <laughs> yeah, right. right. All right. So, uh, T, so you're a chef and conditioning coach, right? So that's one part of being a co collegiate athlete, right? Also, you have the skill development as well. So talk to us about the balancing act that you have to do compared to like for a basketball team, they have three games in five nights and but they still have to lift right. every those two games. Like tell us, and even for football, tell us like the balancing act that you have to perform based on their schedule. Right. So, yeah, I mean, schedule is, is the huge piece to it all. Right. So we have to, when we talk about training athletes in general, you got to take the physical into account which is generally going to be strength and conditioning 
You got to take the technical, which is, you know, shooting the basket, throwing the football, whatever, you know, your footwork, that stuff. You got to take the tactical, which is going to be that, like, your actual plays. And then uh, you got to take the mental. And that's the psycho, the psychological, which is mental toughness. But, you know, you can use visualiz- uh, visualization, all those kinds of things, right? So we got to take that all into account year round. And when we're in season, it's going to be a lot different than when we're in the off season from a physical standpoint, it's going to be more tactical and tactical. And it's kind of that vertical integration model saying, Hey, in season, you know, technical is going to be most important in preseason or in early in the season. And then tactical is second. And then those kind of flip as you get later into the season, right? Because your technique on shooting the basketball is probably should be pretty good by later in the season. And then now our schemes and things take more of you know, importance there. And then the physical is probably third there. So in season, I've got, especially with like a basketball team, I've got to be able to organize and say, Hey, I need to prioritize these certain things within my area. And then other things, maybe not as important. Right. So like that maximal strength, we may touch 85% on a week, but I may have our starters do one rep. My backups may be doing a couple sets at it. Right. And so, organizing that and then throughout a week like if we're playing three games we're probably only lifting once and realistically we're probably doing recovery right for us at our level we're generally playing two days a week and it's usually like a monday saturday or tuesday saturday and so we would try and organize with two lifts in the week and say hey one's going to be our high intensity day we want that to be with at least a day of recovery before the next game day right and preferably since the game before. So like if they played Saturday and we're not playing until let's say Wednesday, then we would probably get that high intensity lift on Monday. And then our low intensity lift might be Thursday because we still have two days before Saturday, but we just want that gap in there to allow for that recovery. Again, it may not always be perfect. You know, football is easy because they always play Saturday. So you can just organize the week and let it roll. Um, but like with basketball, lacrosse, field hockey, volleyball, we're playing multiple games a week. So we got to be smart about where we place those. And more what I do is say, hey, it may change week to week. Like we may have our high intensity lift on Monday one week. Well, it may be Thursday the next week, right? Like if we play Tuesday night instead of Wednesday night, well, we're going to do a light lift, maybe even recovery the day before a game. And then as we get, you know, before that Saturday game, we may lift Thursday. That may be our high intensity one. And as we get later and later in the season, into postseason, we may even do half lift, half recovery. So we would start a lift, do our warm up, do our main lift, and then go and do recovery work after that. So it's just you got to organize it based off of kind of where they are at throughout their year. Um, all right. So like through our, we're all around the same age, and we always hear this: Allen Iverson is the strongest pound for pound athlete, right? So. Yeah. What is a strong athlete in your words? Like, how do you determine that an athlete is strong? That's tough, man. Um, you know, it's really – I think weight room strength is a piece of it, but it's – it's do you transfer that to the field, right? And so that generally, to me, comes down to are you training the right muscle groups and are those muscle groups strong? And so, you know, like I, I look at it at pace. I've been fortunate. We've had three of our um, – three football guys and several athletes at a general uh, across the whole thing. I think we're sitting at like 16 over the last three or four years 
that are um, NSCA strength and conditioning, all American, right? And I think what we've said is, hey, these guys are also people that have been successful on the field. So, like, we had a women's basketball player last year. She was all region. You know, she was all region guard forward for us, kind of a three. And so she was a good player for us. Well, she was also a 300 pound squatter at, I don't know, maybe she's a buck 40. You know what I mean? So she's strong. And oh. <laughs> yeah, wow. I, I don't know. Right. We, we didn't weigh in our women's teams the same way we do with our guys, but it's, uh, you know, she's somewhere in that range. And so she's just a strong person. But because we did the right muscles, it transfers to what she does on the court. And so I think as long as you have that, you'll see that strength transfer on the court. Those three football guys, all three of them, well, two of them have been all region. I think one was like honorable mention, all American. And then the other guy was our all-time leading rusher at pace. So, you know, those are guys that have taken the weight room, done it the right way, and then transferred it to what they actually do. And I think that's when you see the best athletes, the guys that don't have great technique or aren't training the right muscles, but they bench 350, okay, then they're probably not as good of a player, right? Yeah. And so I think you got to take that stuff into account. I think as far as the strength on the court or on the field, there's a lot of differences that come in. I mean, there's, you know, you're taking skill into account. You're taking how well they process information into account. But I think generally if you're doing the right things in the weight room and training the right muscles, you'll see that strength come out on the field. Okay. So you uh... – you worked at um, Warford College. It's like located down south, right? Sure. Now you work at Pace as well. So like, you know, we have like Zion Williamson. He's like athletic as hell, right? Oh, even, yeah. John, even John Morant's athletic. And they're from like the same. Zion's actually from Spartanburg where Wofford is. Oh, wow. So that was actually his, I think it was something like that was his first college offer or something like that. Mm, all right. So now you're here at Pace, right? Not the, the, the basketball, but me and Rob, we were trying to figure out, like, why are you New York athletes not athletic as, like, down south, right? Is it At all. So, I, I don't know that that's true. You know, like, okay. um, you're saying youth athletes or? Yeah. Like, so, uh, when I say youth, I mean, like, the, um, going because Zion was in high school and he did all the crazy right. jobs and he was athletic and whatnot. Yeah. So I'm like, in New York, you wouldn't get that, right? So, it's like, a, the closest we had was Lance Stevenson, maybe. <laughs> so is it is it because of the weight training program? Do they train differently down down south than New York? No, I don't. I I, I don't think that's necessarily it. I think it's you know the air and the food. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's priorities, man. I, I really do. I think it's cultural priorities beyond. Look, all of us we're sports guys, so you know we grew up like that. So like for me, I always say growing up in Ohio, football man is huge you know pro football hall of fame is there i grew up like if you're on the football team and you're you're popular just off of that in high school you know what i mean like it didn't matter if you're a cool kid or what you're just people care you know what i mean like there were you were in the local parades you were doing all that stuff like you know we had i mean we had police escorts to go to games and things and it's just important there right and i think down south is kind of similar I think you come up here, culture of sports is different. It's more professional and less college. Like I'm from Columbus, Ohio. The professional sports team is Ohio State. You know what I mean? The football, basketball, there, like it's Ohio State first. And then, you know, probably the Browns right. next. 
the Bengals were somewhere in there. When the Cavs had LeBron, they were up there. You know what I mean? So like, <laughs> it's, it, but I think that's the culture of where you're at up here in the Northeast. Business, finance, those things are, are more important. And not that they're wrong or any different, but I think when you're young, you're, the prioritization of your family and things just treats that culture a little bit differently. Whereas you go down south, man, you go to Alabama, you go to those deep parts of Florida, like football is the number one thing around. I mean, right. Texas, number one thing around. because yes, And that's why they have all the success that they have. I mean, you look at the states that are tops in like football – like pro football hall of fame players in the NFL, all that. It's like Texas, California, Florida. Um, I think Ohio is like fifth. I think Pennsylvania and Georgia are in there, you know? So like, it's just a little bit different. You know, you have Midwest States that are in the North that still have these great athletes. So you still have that, but down South it's, and in the Midwest, the prioritization and the culture is just different. And so you start training for that stuff differently, you know, from in California, there's just so many freaking people there that they're good at sports. So. All right. You New Yorkers start hit the weight room, man. Like you have it slacking. That's crazy. Cause all, all the states Troy named are actually, they had teams, the Friday night tykes. Y'all remember yep. that show with the, I used to love that show, but all the states he named, they all have teams. And those are all the states you can tell, like football is very prevalent. Those kids take it serious, right. young, and I'm like, we can't even get a Bronx baseball team. <laughs> like, what is well, going on right here? I think this it's ridiculous. In New York, I think basketball is bigger, right? I right. think basketball is a little bit bigger because you talk about the influence of the city. You can't go play, pick up football. You know what I mean? You can go play, pick up basketball. And I think that's there's a bigger influence in New York. Right. You know, colleges like Iona have good programs, have for years. So I think those things uh, just that – it's a different culture around the sport. And I think you see that Indiana colder weather, you know, you have the Hoosiers, you have that culture around basketball. It's just, it's going to kind of depend on where you're at. And I think part of that's history and tradition. Right. So. Okay. Uh, what, would, what would you say the biggest hurdle is for a high school athlete transitioning into college? Yeah. So, you know, I'll give this, I'm stealing this from a men's lacrosse coach. He, the best way I've ever heard it explained is in high school, you are part of a team. In college, mm -hmm. you're part of a program. And, and really, like, the way it breaks down is saying, hey, in high school, you're part of a team. You go to practice. You know, if you get out of class at 2, you're at practice at 2.30 to 5, and then you go home, you're eating with your family, and, and, you know, maybe you have a brother on the team or something like that, right? In college, you are fully immersed in the program from a strength and conditioning standpoint. It's going to be more than you've ever done. There's the rare few, there's the IMG academies and Bishop Gorman out in Las Vegas and those schools that have strength and conditioning programs. But again, those are rare across the country, right? Most of them are private. So you're going to have strength and conditioning. You're going to have study table, mandatory study right. table. You're going to have tutors. You're going to have film study to really go through. Like, Again, I played for a nationally ranked high school football program. The film study we did versus Division three football in college, not even close. You know what I mean? Like, we would meet as an offense, like, Mondays, watch film, and then we'd watch, like, maybe 20 minutes of film one other day in the week. And then otherwise, we were out on the field going through it. In college, man, we met at least two or three times a week, at least an hour of film. We had five hours of film to watch on our own. You know, like it's just there's all those things that you don't necessarily do in high school that you're going to have 
to do more in college. And from uh, kids coming in, it's the mental approach of it, right? And saying, hey, this is going to be a lot more because then you don't go home to mom and dad and to where you've lived for 17, 18 years of your life. You go home to your roommate who may be pissing you off, (laughs) you know, like, and then you got to go get food at the cafeteria. We all know how common it is. So, you know, it's just, it's more, you're fully immersed in the program. You know, hopefully your program does the right things and say, Hey, academics are first word, you know, then it's us, but you know, you're going to be fully immersed in all that stuff. And you don't have that necessarily that security of being at home all the time. So it's getting past that mental hurdle and and saying as coming in as a freshman saying, Hey, I understand that I got to be part of this, this, and this. And that's a big piece to it. Mm. Speaking of the food and being college athletes, most, I would like to say most are on meal plans and you know, all that. How would, what would you say a college athletes diet should consist of? Ooh, uh, should yeah. or realistically going to should <laughs> realistically. Um, yeah, that's tough. Um, you know, it's highly individual for a kid. You know, I think the diet stuff, the nutrition stuff is something I've tried to get better at. Um, obviously you're going to need a decent amount of protein to save your muscle, but you're going to need carbs because you need that energy within your system. Because one, look, they're at the height of their maturity. Right. And so they're going to be, their metabolism is going to be fired up anyways. And then two, they're also just going to be doing more. Right. And and so they're, they're going to need more and more food in them. I think most kids need to eat more and eat real food more, you know, not bars and and the shakes are good for post-workout bars are okay for post-workout, but like now you need to go eat, have that now go eat some chicken breast and some rice and, you know, or have a sandwich. It doesn't matter. You know, you just need to get the, those calories in with our kids specifically, just because of some of the li- uh, limitations and things we say, get calories in, right? Go eat, you know, post-workout. Cause we know you need that. So that's just, you know, kind of what you deal with, but most kids get more calories in, you know, if we need to, now there are kids that, you know, are overweight. You got to sit there and, and work with them a little bit and, but that's just becoming smarter about that. And fortunately for us, we have a, at Pace, we have a master's program in nutrition. So we're starting to get some interns uh, from there to kind of help our kids out and educate them on that. How hard is it being that the universities don't necessarily have the most healthiest food? <laughs> Part of the, you know, the meal plans and what's in the cafeteria is not the healthiest. So how does that go against what you're trying to do as far as educating them on their diet. Like it's like a trap. Like, right. So it, you know, and, and most college kids have no money, right? So right. we're broke, broke. It, right. So, um, you know, it, it is tough, man. That's, that's the tough part. And that's what I'm saying. And sometimes it has to come down to get calories in, you know, cause we're not okay. at the level that in Ohio state, you know, basketball players have their own cafeteria. Football players have their own. There's an athlete-only cafeteria. Mm-hmm. Football probably has its own cafeteria. I think they do in their like, um, in their Woody Hayes Center or whatever. For us, it's not that way, right? So I was deprived. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, it's completely different. Um, but like with our, you know, it, it is get calories in, and then try to educate them on. Hey, these are the smarter choices. Like I go, 
um, and eat at the cafeteria. Our coaches go and eat at the cafeteria, you know, every at least every once in a while to try and say, hey, here's the smart choices. Um, and then when they work with the nutritionist, say like, like almond milk is one nutritionist love, right? Okay, well, that's 10 times more expensive than regular milk. So let's just get calories in. And so it's just – it's going to be at our level more of an education process and say, Hey, here are the things that are better options for you. And then let's steer you in that direction. Ultimately though, they got to make that choice still. Okay. So, uh, how do you, how do you design programs for your players and does knowledge of a particular player get implemented into a workout regimen? That's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. So um, a program itself in a single, and this kind of goes with that, the high, low sequencing and stuff. It's what time of year are you? What's your goals at this time of year? You know, those different things. We're always going to have a, a dynamic warm up where for us, it's not like going and doing high knees. It's more, hey, we're going to do mobility and activate the muscles that you're going to use for this coming lift, right? So if we're going to squat, we're not going to go do a bunch of push ups, right? We're going to squat and we're going to go do hip mobility, do some hurdle drills. We're going to activate our glutes. We're going to activate our hamstrings with different exercises. And then we'll get into our squat, right? And then we usually have our main movement. And again, it depends on what time of year. If we're in season, we're going to train total body because, you know, if we do just legs on Monday and we don't do it again till the next week, and let's say that got canceled because we got a game on Tuesday and we're not doing it until next week. If we squat two weeks later, you're going to be sore as hell, right? And I don't want you to be that sore in season. So we're going to train total body at least each day in season. The off season will segment more lower body, upper body stuff. Again, that depends on the team. If we have a team only in two days a week in the off season, okay, well, you're just going to, it's going to be total body. Um, so, but we'll always try and from a programming standpoint, hit our back. The backside of our body is what makes us better athletes. Glutes, hamstrings, uh, lats, triceps, all that stuff. Let me get a quick hit here. <clears throat> Sorry, a lot of talk. Uh, so we'll try and do that stuff specifically for a kid individually based off of training. <coughs> Whew, sorry. They're trying to kill uh, you. What's going on, man? How <laughs> many knows I usually have gum. I'm all out of gum in the house. <coughs> um, but so worry, training, we're getting an SP. We're getting an SP. So brief. There you go. All right. Uh, so for training age, how long have you been lifting weights? What's your ability? We'll split people in the off season into advanced, intermediate, beginner levels and say, hey, that's going to differentiate what you're doing. And then in season, we'll differentiate starters, backups, all that stuff, um, you know, for that kid individually. If they have a history of injuries, kind of like we talked about earlier, we'll differentiate this is what you're doing versus, you know, we're still going to try and train something close, but we may not be doing that. So, you know, it, it is individual percentage wise will be based off of you. So if I tell you to squat 70% versus Nomni to squat 70%, it's going to have to be different just based off of your abilities, right? Whatever your maximal abilities are. So we do take all that stuff into account. Um, you know, we'll split up by position group, especially in the sport basketball, our general qualities that we're asked to do are pretty similar. Obviously the skill of a point guard versus a center is different, but the general qualities of playing on the floor are going to be similar with like a football. We're very different. You know, 
I played offensive line, what I would do versus what my receivers or DBs are doing are going to have to be a little bit different. Like everybody should squat, but just the volumes, the intensities when we get on, especially with our running, like our skill guys are going to cover three to 400, maybe even 500 yards of sprints in a game. Our linemen are going to maybe do 200 and before they run into somebody else. So that kind of stuff takes into account based off of what that kid does. Um, quarterbacks take into account, like that's, that's a huge one. Pitchers, you know, anybody that throws, you have to account for that because you have to account for the shoulder stuff. Um, and then even how does a kid play? So like we had our quarterback last year was uh, offensive player of the year in the conference. Well, he was a dynamic running and throwing kid. All right. So we got to be smart about his shoulder, but I still got to train his legs. And I, he, when he, we would do sprints, he would sprint with our skill guys. Well, our second string guy was kind of the same. So he'd sprint with the skill guys Our third and fourth stringers, not runners, right? They're going to come in, they're going to be passers. So they're going to sprint with our mids, our linebackers, tight ends, those guys, because the volume that they're going to do in a game is not nearly what those other two are going to do. So you just kind of got to take all those factors into account. How's a kid play? What's his position? What's his sport? What time of year is it? And then you program around that. All right. Um, Trey, let me challenge you for a second. So there's different sports, different positions, different everything, right? Yeah. What muscle group do you think is most important that you have to train though? That's a commonality in all of the sports. Glutes. Glutes. And if I could group in hamstrings, that would be the next one. Because if you talk sprinting, every sport, court, field, whatever, you got to sprint. You got to jump. You got to be able to do those things healthy and safely, right? So the glutes and the hamstrings are the two biggest, most important ones for that, right? Beyond that, I would just say anything on the back side of your body. The best way I've heard it is the front side of your body is what makes you look good. The back side of your body is what makes you a better athlete. Mm. Right? And so everything, neck, traps, lats, you know, rear delts, all that stuff. I, you know, abs are the one that you kind of throw in there, but we got to be smart about the and be trained abs like athletes, you know, um, not fitness models. So it's a little bit different, but backside of your body would be a big thing. Glutes and hamstrings, number one. All right. So people, when he says that glutes, means derriere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to say this, like you can pause on this. No, no, you know, no homo for this. Yeah. <laughs> the best way I ever heard this was uh, when I was down at Wofford, the Carolina Panthers held training camp there. Right. And they did. So I was there for two training camps for the Carolina Panthers. And the strength coach there said, you won't see a flat ass on this team at all. Uh, so, and, wow. and, and, you know, again, pause. Don't take this the wrong way. Right, right. right. We got you. No, we got you. We got I, you. The, I think the second year I was there, I think it was the second year, maybe the year after that was the year they went to the Super Bowl. So, with Cam. Wow. Nice. Mandy, that explains your derriere. <laughs> So, Troy, you said you're – I was going to ask you what exercises you think are important, but you said the box squat, hand cleans, and um, bench press, right? So I want to switch the question. Can you explain the difference between power and strength, right? So you have people who are strong, but they're not powerful. But you have people who are powerful but are not strong. Like, can you explain the difference? Right. So strength is moving a maximal force, right? Power is moving a – technically moderate to moderate high 
weight at a maximal speed. Okay. So they're both important. You can't really be powerful based off of what your um, genetic ability is. You can't really be powerful without being strong. You also won't be able to be strong without being powerful. Right. So they go hand in hand, but they're not the same thing. So if you think, if you go to physics, force equals mass times acceleration, right? The acceleration piece is speed, strength, or strength speed, or what we would call strength speed is what we would call power, right? Generally speaking, like a hang clean or something like that. And then the mass is still that um, maximal f- strength. Well, the force is the ultimate piece that we want. So we have to have both of those. If our acceleration sucks or our power sucks and our strength is really high, we're going to be limited, right? And whatever that force can actually be. If our maximal strength is really low, but we're powerful, we're still going to be limited based off whatever our genetic ability is. So you may see a kid and be like, he's powerful, but he's not really strong yet. Okay. Well, he's nowhere near what he can actually be or vice versa. All right. So sticking with that, because people, we're giving you free knowledge right now. So you guys go to the YMCA, blank, whatever. Can you tell us the rep range and the intensity to train for power and strength for the people? Yeah. So Intensity generally would be for maximal strength, true, this is the max effort method. We would say it's 90% plus. For me with athletes, I generally take it, especially in season, an 85% plus, right? We're just trying to get a high stimulus on your central, a high load stimulus on your central nervous system that says, hey, this is, this is close to maximum, right? Power then is generally going to be in the 70 maybe 75 to 85% range. Some people that are more um, explosive naturally could probably take that up to like a 90%. But that's just going to be like myself. I was a lineman. I was not naturally a super explosive person. So I'm probably topping out my power at like 80%. And I start getting to maximal strength. Difference is for me, genetically, my maximal strength is still going to be pretty high at that you know, like it's not going to fade out just because my power is bad. I do, you know, my thing to work on as I got further along as an athlete is that power, that acceleration. Okay. And it's going to be different for other people. So a lot of young kids, you see, Hey, they're powerful, but they can't control their body. So they can't really express that power in the same way. They need that strength Mm, those match up. And then you get that better athlete. All right. And what would be the rep range? Like five by three for strength. Yeah. Power. I know it depends on that. It depends on the percentages you're doing. True maximal strength, we're talking singles up to triples. So one rep up to three, you could do it in any way. You know, if we're talking a good resource for people to still got Prilipin's chart, I try and spell it for you, but I don't know how. I think it's (laughs) P-R-I-P-E-L-I-N. And um, basically in a single workout, you don't want more than 10 reps above 90% realistic of whatever your maximal ability is. So if you can squat 500, we don't want to squat more than 10 reps over 450. Right. So, and, but in a single set, it's going to be one to three reps. So you may do three sets of three at 450. Now you're doing nine total reps in a workout. Right. And you would work up to that. You're not just going to jump in and squat 135 and go 450. You're going to have warm up sets up to that, but you know, it would be that for power. It's generally the same thing. You can go a little bit more of the three to five range or one to five range. Um, but where people mess up too often is we're doing like hang clean and those Olympic lifts, 
are just a power movement by themselves. And if you go all the way up to sets of eight, okay, you're not doing power now. And by the way, your technique's probably going to crap, but you're not really training that. So why are you doing that? Now you're putting in position to, to get hurt. So it'd be more like a hand clean might be, like you said, five sets of three, six sets of five, something like that, depending on that percentage. As intensity goes up, so as we go up from 75 to 80% to 90%, whatever, we're going to drop the reps. So it might be fives at 75, threes at 80, singles at 90 or something like that. So you'll kind of see as, you know, because we're not going to sit there and be able to do three sets to five at a true 90% of our max. Um, or we're going to get stapled and then we get hurt. All right. <laughs> so you trained football players that actually time for like the 40 yard dash, right? Yeah. So explain to us how important weight training and a strength conditioning program during a college year is important for you to go pro. Absolutely. Um, so the biggest thing you see is most kids come in, they're weak. They obviously have genetic potential. We wouldn't bring them in at any level, division one to division three, it doesn't matter. You wouldn't bring them in if they didn't have physical ability, right? But to build that strength in those right muscles is going to make you not just a better player, but it's going to make you move better. It's going to help you stay healthier. It's going to help you be able to do the, the right technique to your position better. And again, you got to train the right muscles the right way, but and you got to be, you know, hopefully you have a smart strength coach and they can lead you in the right way. And, and a guy that can, you know, hopefully, again, hopefully we're doing all this right, is that <laughs> it leads you into that, right? And so then when you go pro or you're working for that, now you can express those uh, improved physical qualities, right? And so, and then you go pro, the hope of the ability is, hey, you've got a good what we would call GPP, general physical preparation. You've got a good level of that. And now you can get even more specified. When you talk about pro athletes, like, you know, let's say a, a Tom Brady or, you know, any of the guys playing tonight, right? So they're going to need that general physical prep because they need that base level at all times. And they still like our alignment, you still need to squat heavy. You still need to do those things. So don't take this as you back off of that, but just, now the only way for guys at that level to get even more elite is to refine their sports skill, right? And spend more time on that. So at this point, Tom Brady, sure, he's got to do it because at 43 years of age, he's got to stay in shape. He's got to be able to do all those things, you know? But then as you go up, like you also don't want to beat him up because he's 43 years old. And so the only way he's going to get better is to make those small refinements on the little things. And, you know, even as a football guy, I wouldn't be able to tell you what those things are because it's Tom Brady, right? So he would need those things. A Patrick Mahomes training versus a Tom Brady is going to be different. He's 25. He can still probably progress in the physical areas, which is scary because he's crazy good. But like, <laughs> you know, but like you, he can still probably get better once he hits probably in that 30 range again, he's going to become so elite based off of his own ability. Like he's at that 99% threshold of what he can be, but those small tweaks in the sport preparation are going to get, are going to be what he takes to the next level. The mistake most kids make at college or high school level is thinking I'm so good at the sport. I don't need the physical stuff like a Tom Brady. You're so far from 
what that guy is or Patrick Mahomes. You're so far yet from like that gap between you guys is further than most kids think. Again, they may be like there may be kids that have that physical ability naturally and are genetically are that gifted. But the problem is they think that Pat Mahomes is at 99 and they're at 90. No, Pat Mahomes is at 99 and you're at 70, right? And the physical stuff is going to take you along with the skill and film and, all, and mental. You have to do all the pieces, but that's going to take you to 90. Okay, now you can start doing those refined, special drills that those guys do. But you got to take all those other pieces in first. Hmm. I have a question for you, maybe to motivate the public. Uh, How do you feel someone in your field can professionally move up in the ranks? So that's a good question. Uh, I think it's first and foremost, it is making where you are big time. So wherever you're at, you know, there's a lot of guys and actually this, the strength coach, he used to be the strength coach for the Carolina Panthers. He's since retired and doing some things on the side. Um, But his name's Joe Ken. He's one of the best at this. And he says like, I hate it when people come up and say, Oh, I'm a division three strength coach. And he's like, who cares? Tell me where you're at, you know? And then is that place, are you making that place as good as it possibly can be? And I think Mm -hmm. that's the first and foremost thing because People will come find good people. You know, I mean, they, they will come find you if you're doing things the right way and, and you're, you're making that place better. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing then is connections. And kind of like you heard with my story, it was, you know, my, the guy that I interned for knew, you know, he called around to people that he knew and he said, oh, hey, this guy named Tom Myslinski knows Josh Medler at Wofford right? Like he was his mentor. I know Tom, let me call Tom. Tom then called Josh on his behalf. And then Josh got in touch with Watts and then got in touch with me. So it's, it is those connections. You know, you're talking about pace. Our head football coach was looking for, you know, somebody and it was just through connections. And, you know, he had worked at Old Dominion. He said, Hey, you're the guy I want you. And that was it. You know what I mean? And then obviously I interviewed, I did all those things, but like it was those connections, without those connections, it's not going to happen. Hmm. So, but, but if you don't make where you are, if you don't work hard and make where you are big time and what you're doing big right. time, then those connections will never happen for you. I think your attitude is a big part of that. You know, Absolutely. how you present where you are, even if you had a deep breeze, how you say it could just literally turn somebody off. Like, okay. Like, <laughs> right. Uh, do you feel like it's necessary for you to be a walking representation of your profession? Like, do you feel like you have to be, muscular and you know for your kids to take you seriously (laughs) that's a good one man um yeah i think to some extent so let me say this um again i've said i was not the most genetically gifted athlete like i was i'm maybe making six foot man so you know as an offensive lineman maybe making six foot is you know it is what it is but (laughs) like um yeah they have to see you be able to strain and challenge yourself and struggle and, and work Right. That's the stuff they need to be able to see. So my kids know like, Hey, I I lift in the same weight room, right. I'm going to put work in there. Now, fortunately, when I got into pace, I was the strongest person in the weight room. I knew I was now. Mm No, no, there's kids. There's some of these kids there. They've grown and it's just part of the culture. We've had some kids that, you know, have lifted way more weight than I ever did at, at my best. 
but they at least got to see, hey, he's willing to go through work. He's willing to put time in. He's trying to make himself better, just like he's trying to make us better. And I think that's important. Um, you know, do you need to be a walking representation? Do you need to be perfect? No. And like the best example of that is when I was at Old Dominion, I had a freshman linebacker, um, you know, and he was like, I was probably 260 at the time, right? And so he's, he's saying to me, it's like, oh, you played like fullback linebacker, right? Because I'm six foot. And right. he, um, I'm like, nah, man, I, I was an offensive lineman. And he was like, oh, he's like, because all their offensive linemen are six, three plus, right? And he's like, oh, dude, I thought you were just like a linebacker fullback that got out of shape, not an offensive lineman that got in shape, <laughs> right? And so, you know, I, I laughed with him or whatever, but, um, but that's the truth. Like there's, you got to understand, like there's going to be the genetic things like you go out and I go in the weight room. I'm the middle of the rap, you know, basketball. I feel short. Like, I think I'm taller than one point guard and by like half an inch, <laughs> and, you know, and he's probably the best player in there, but yeah. you know, so you got to understand like, Hey, genetically there's going to be that and so you got to have that attitude that like that doesn't matter at the same time they need to see work they need to see like go through struggle because they're going through it and if you're not willing to go through some of it you know you're gonna you're not gonna have that relationship with them that you need to get them to do the full send for you and go for it okay uh who would you say is the greatest athlete you've seen with your own two eyeballs that's a tough one, man. Um, so blame Namdi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's tough. You're, you're putting me in a hole here, man. Cause somebody, I'm going to piss somebody off. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, let me say this. I was, I, I have a, a few guys. I played with a guy in high school. His name is Zach Bourne. Um, and he was probably one of the best competitors. I've ever met and now Zach went on he played at Ohio State he started at fullback for like three years and then a senior year they moved him to middle linebacker if you ever look up the picture of like a dude standing over the Michigan quarterback that's him like great athlete you know just um and even at that at that level he was like undersized because he's like not six foot but he's playing linebacker mm -hmm. and but just a, a tremendous competitor I never saw him lose anything that was competitive um and just from an athlete standpoint, one of the tops. The other guy I would say was um, he's got a lot of fame now, but Taylor Heineke, uh, he's just with the Washington Redskins. When I was at Old Dominion, I was only there for his senior year, but coming in, and again, this is another undersized guy, maybe six one, at quarterback. He was the best quarterback I've ever seen. He was a physical, physically a great dude, like – run fast, strong dude, all that stuff. Mentally, though, he was so over the top. Like, he processed information so quickly. He could read things so quickly. He could make every throw you wanted him to make. You've seen the competitive edge that the kid had. He just brought that with him every day. And the crazy part about it is he was pretty humble. Like, you would walk in and you would – and here's a guy that at Old Dominion at that point, he'd already won, like, the FCS Heisman. Now they've moved up to FBS. And – He's breaking a bunch of records. He has, at the time, I think Pat Mahomes broke this, but at the time he had, like, the most passing yards in a single game in Division One history. And, you know, this dude, you would never 
never thought it. He was in there. He was working. He was humble. He was bought into everything. He was working as hard as he could, but he was just a competitive dude. And, and it carried over to everything. And just the confidence, you know, like he, he won game. We were playing at Rice. And they came back, tied up the game, 42 all. It's like fourth and 10, probably midfield-ish. And, he, you know, we call a timeout. He comes over and he, you know, they're like, what do you want to do? And he goes, I'm going to throw a go route to my senior receiver on the outside. And they're either – he's either going to blow by him and score a touchdown or they're going to drag him down and get a flag and kick the field goal and win the game. And that was exactly what happened. Wow. Like, he threw a go route. We went single-side receiver, threw a go route. They dragged him down by the back of his pads, threw the flag, moved up, kicked the field goal, won the game. Like, just from a, a competitor, <laughs> just that mental aspect of obviously physically he could do it, but that was one of the best ones I've ever seen with my own two eyes. You know, obviously, like, you see, you know, going when I was a kid, I would go watch Kevin Garnett or those guys play basketball. You see that. But actually working with and being around, and we've had a couple of dudes at pace too. Uh, we had a three-technique defensive tackle, and Nandi knows this guy. He was probably – one of the best, just a huge dude and just physically strong, explosive, all that stuff. Like he had several tryouts in the NFL um, coming from division two. So we've had those guys, um, you know, so there's, there's a handful. I'm probably missing some and they'll probably get pissed off at me. But. <laughs> yeah. You didn't say my name, but it's okay. Uh, <laughs> Yo, Troy, I thought you was really nah, going I, I, LeBron James. Nah, okay, so you, Nandi, you know I love LeBron, man. I'm a LeBron fan. I've been a LeBron fan even when he left the Cavs. Um, you know, I stuck with him the whole way. Yeah, I, I actually have not seen LeBron in person, though, so I couldn't say that. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I, do, I, I, I got to say this. I think he is the most gifted, physically talented athlete probably to walk the earth. And, and, I, and I'm a football guy. You know, wow. I play football my whole life. That's but like I think funny, right? <laughs> that's big. That's big. I like, I really, you know, there, look, there's a ton of people you can make that argument for, but he probably, he's one of them. He's top five for sure. I think I missed it, but how did you, how did you run into this guy? Namdi over here. Like, how did you meet him? So, <laughs> <laughs> Namdi. So Namdi actually uh, interned and was like an intern assistant for me at Pace in our strength and conditioning department. Uh, probably what two years ago now? Yeah, 2018. Wow. So it's been a little bit. Um, mm. but so he he worked for us and he did an awesome job, man. Our kids, kids loved him. They were excited. Dude, he brought the hype, he brought the energy. Like it would be field hockey in there lifting, and he was going, <laughs> he was going crazy. And, That's and what's our, up, man. our kids loved it, so he did a great job. Thank I you. hope our kids are listening because they don't be trying to take Nandi seriously, you know, because he's a hefty guy. But I, I always say, I'm like, this guy's really light on his feet. He can move. Yeah, like, so I hope our yeah, kids are listening. They take him a little more serious now. His resume's legit. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. No, he did. He's just a great coach, man. I was excited to have him. I was, I, you know, it was unfortunate that I lost him, too. He had to yeah, my fault, my fault, my bad. <laughs> you know, you got to move on in life, so. Nandi, don't don't get mad. I'm about, to, I'm about to tell you a secret. So Nandi has a personal body goal. He wants to get to. It's okay. attached to an athlete. I'm not going to say that athlete's name. I'll let Nandi tell you. But right. once he tells you, I want to know if you can get it done. If you're the real deal and we could get Nandi to where he wants okay. to be. I got I to gotta say, man, Nandi <laughs> looks like he's, he's got a little skinnier. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, like, I told Rel, like, my one of my goals for yeah, one of my goals in life, like, I'm trying to, like, catch up to Aaron Donald. 
Oh, I know what to say. I know what No offense, but you know that genetic ceiling we were talking about. Oh. There, might, there might be a little bit of a gap there. Aaron Donald, oh. like you're talking, that dude is a freak. He's just, yeah. he's oh, out of his mind. That dude is a. Because I was like, I'm like, oh, he's like six feet. I'm, I'm close to that. I'm taller, but close to that. And I'm like, oh. yeah. I'm like, yo, he's six eighty. I'm like, it's all muscle. I'm like, oh. I want that. Like, if it could be done, you know, I can get close to it. Fuck. I think you get close. I think you get close. That's but all I need to hear. <laughs> that dude, that dude is, he's out of this world, man. He just won like the third defensive player of the year last night. Yeah. So I was going to actually bring, because we're, we're coming close to our interview. So I want to like do the talk about the fun stuff, right? Because, yeah. you know, people, right? So Aaron Donald, TJ Watt, they got like a little, JJ Watt got a little beef because like he should have won it. Who do you think, in your professional opinion, should have won a defensive player of the year? Defensive player of the year, you know, I'd have to look at the stats. I don't have the exact stats, but to me, man, the fact that, you know, they do that NFL 100 every year. The fact that Aaron Donald is not number one or number two every year for the last five is ridiculous to me. Like he is for a, a defensive tackle to be as dominant as he is, is so rare. Like, you know, seeing the defensive lineman as an offensive lineman, former one, like you watch those dudes, he just, he can bulldoze people. He can outrush people. Like, he is just so impressive at all that stuff that he does. I have a hard time going against him. I think T.J. Watt had a great season, and I think he led the league in sacks and everything. But just yeah. for me, like, going against Aaron Donald, that's tough, man. That's tough. All right, you said you're a Cowboys fan, right? So, yeah. what's going on? Like, is Zeke going to be there next year? Who's going to be a quarterback? He has to be there. Zeke has to be there. Look, I still think the biggest issue this year, the offensive line was decimated, right? And I think that makes a huge difference. Um, obviously, I'm preferential to that. But then, <laughs> but then Zeke, like, when you don't have anywhere close, he only had one dude, one dude that was in his original five starting offensive line blocking for him, and he was the one that was the least experienced and probably the worst of the five. Right. And he and that dude had a good year. So he made progress, but he's the only one out of five. So that's terrible for him. He still almost rushed for a thousand yards. I think he was just shy. And that's because they sat him for like a game and a half because he was injured and like small injuries. Uh, but he's got to be there. You've got to have him. And the problem I thought early in the season was I, I love Dak. I'm a Dak fan. But like you have to give Zeke the football. You had like 13 touches in one of those games he lost. Yeah, I think it was the Seahawks. It was a close game the whole time, and he had, like, 13 touches. Like, that's – come on, man. Like, that's your best football player. you got to give him the football. Um, so – got to have Zeke. Let me play a little hypothetical with you. So, we were talking on last week's episode about Deshaun Watson. Okay. You're a Cowboys fan. What are you giving up to get Deshaun Watson? I wouldn't at this point. Like, that's – so, I, I love Deshaun Watson. So, here's – I think he's a great quarterback. But, like – why Dak has the team I think Dak Dak would you know had Dak stayed healthy right which is you know you always play that if game uh -huh. but like he would have thrown for more yards more touchdowns his stats were better at that point they probably you know they're winning more they probably would have won more games than the Texans I think they did without Dak so let's take that into account like Dak gets so much hate I think anybody that's Dallas Cowboys quarterback gets so much hate you know, like that's just it's people don't like the Dallas Cowboys. There's a lot of people that like them. It's it's you know, it's a love or a hate thing. So I think he gets a lot of hate. Um, but the stuff he was doing, I don't know why you would go 
you'd have to sell the amount that you would have to give up for Deshaun Watson. You're going to end up hurting your team more like what they, cause you would need to give up draft picks. You would then need to trade Dak. Right. So that would just, even if you look at that as an even swap, or even you're saying Deshaun Watson's a little bit better because you can't say he's out of this world better. Right. And so, but the draft picks you'd have to give up, your defense would still be rough. And what they were 28th or 29th in the league, and you need you still need a defense to win, man. You're still gonna have it. So I think they gotta pass on that one. As long as you can get Dak, and they need to get Dak under contract, and then you know start adding your defensive pieces. All right. The real uh, the big question on, is, no. yo, are you going to you going to start bench cut now? No. Okay, I got it. Uh, I wanted to ask a question before the start bench cut. All right, okay. fair enough. So Super Bowl, who you got? Mahomes or Brady? That's what it comes down to, right? Like, yeah, right. Um, you know, it's this is tough, man. I'm I'm excited for a good game. The my X factor. Thank you. My my X factor in the game here is this: the Chiefs' starting left tackle is out. Whoa! Where's Achilles? Um, well, in the AFC Championship game. So to me, he's he's out. So that's that's wow. a tough spot because the Bucks have a great pass rush. So I think you watch that. Now I think Andy Reid and um, what is it? The B enemies, the OC. I think that's mm-hmm. his, his name. Um, you know, those guys, I think they can plan well enough to, to adjust that. I probably am going to say Mahomes is going to pull it out. Um, mm. I gotta, you know, I got to give a pace shout out. There's uh, actually a former pace women's basketball player. That's an assistant strength coach for the bucks. So our pace kids are kind of, you know, rooting for her. Um, so there's okay. kind of that too, but I, I think I got to take the Chiefs, man. They're, they're good. All right. Ralph, go. Mm. Uh, okay. Would you, would you ever train a basketball player as a football player? They usually say, you know, basketball players are frail than ba- you know, football players, which, you know, it makes sense. But would you ever give a basketball player a football player's per- workout, per se? So to some extent, yeah. Um, you know, the sprinting, the running, that stuff's going to be a little bit different because okay. just it, as easy as your field dimensions are different, right? The amount of room that you're going to run, you're going to run more probably as a basketball player, but it's a lot tighter space. You know what I mean? So the conditioning, the speed work, that stuff's going to be different. Um, but the general, to me, all athletes, well, let me not say all, but most athletes, are going to require the similar quality, similar muscles, kind of like what we've talked about. But then how you implement that stuff is going to be a little bit different. Hopefully okay. the intensity, the approach, the mental side, to me that's that should be the same. That should be you and the culture that you have in your weight room, and, and hopefully both teams represent that. Um, then there will be the differences. The biggest difference will be in injury prevention stuff. Ankles are going to be more important in basketball. Wrists are obviously anything around the arm is going to be different, you know, because you're shooting other than if you're working for a quarterback, yeah. you know, that motion is very different. Um, so, but like, we're all going to squat. We're all going to hand clean. We're all going to bench press, but the variation, the, the load, the time of year, that stuff, that stuff all changes, but those movements that are important, those don't change. Okay. I was simply asking that because I've dunked the ball about five times in my lifetime. And, you know, I want at least five more dunks, 10 total in a go. lifetime before, the, before the Lord calls me home, but <laughs> I am 30. So I wanted to see it, my body be put through a football workout at this point in my life. That's all. 
<laughs> no, I, I think you're good. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Okay, okay. I like you, man. I like you. Thank you. <laughs> and, and, like, look, here, you want to take it a different way? You ever seen LeBron James play football? He was a stud. Dude, he stopped playing. Like, I heard he was great. Dude, he was all state as, like, a sophomore. He was the best receiver in the wow. state of Ohio as a sophomore. I mean, so, like, wow. again, the, the general qualities are going to be similar. It's those yeah. fine details that are going to be different. Okay. All right, T, so we have a segment on the show. It's not a perfect science. It's called Start Bench Cut. Welcome to another edition of Start Bench Cut, where we have to start a player, bench a player, and unfortunately, we have to make a hard decision of cutting a player. Who are you going to start first, bench, and who are you going to actually like end up cutting? All right, all right. So since you're an O-line guy, I gave you three quarterbacks. Okay. Right? So no perfect science here. Right. So start Bench Cut, Joe Montana, Peyton Manning, Dan Marino. Ooh. Ooh, that's tough. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Oh, man. That's different eras of football, too. So you're talking different eras of football. Um, You know, I think I'm a little little too young to remember much of Montana. Okay. Obviously, you know a lot about him and, and, you know, that stuff. I would probably – over Manning and Marino, to me, they're very similar. The way they played the game is different. Marino is a bigger arm, but Manning was more of the the technician guy. <sighs> ah, that, yeah, this is so tough, man. Debating. Manning and Marino, one of them would be my starter. Montana's my my bench, and then the other one would be my cut. Yeah. And the reason is because if I need that closer to come in and win the game, I'm putting Montana in the game. Okay, you know I mean that, that's fine. We but we just need you to start one. You gotta you gotta <laughs> cut. No, I give it to Manning. I give it to Manning. He's got two Super Bowls, so I give it to him. You know, and then probably cut Marino. All right, bro. hey, bro, what you got? Uh. I would start Joe Montana. That's if we have Jerry Rice. But if not, I'm going to go Peyton. I'm going to go Peyton. I'm going to go Joe. And I'm sorry, Dan. I wasn't, you know, you know I'm, I'm sorry. Hey, I'm a basketball guy, all right? Don't yell at me, okay? Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm similar to Troy. I'm going to start Manning, bench Joe, and I'm going to cut Marino. It's just Peyton was so good. Yeah, he's very technical. I liked him. He's yeah, like a point guard. Offensively gifted, like throwing the ball, like reading routes. He was like magnificent. The only issue is he had no defense, right? right. So he's mad slow. And when he did, he actually won. So, yeah. <laughs> so yo, Troy, thank you. That is the show, people. If you thank you, I'm your host, your best host, Nam BKP Nam. My man, Mr. Rel Too Real. We got a. Uh, you go with the man, Instagram. He squared. All right, we got my man T Squared. Follow my IG, the head coach coach at Pace University. If you like, enjoyed the show, please follow us at Sports You Define on all social media. We're on YouTube. Our clubhouse information will be dropped next week if you want to hop in and chime in. And yo, we out. Peace.